tinfoil hat. Oh, what the fuck are you guys even talking about? Global controls will have to be imposed. And a world governing body will be created to enforce them. Welcome to tinfoil hat. We, we, we go deep, homeboy. Eric, open your mind. Good morning, Swarm, and welcome to Tim Paul Hat. You know who I am. You know what I'm here to do. I'm here to... Oh man, that was not good. Guys, thank you so much for joining us. Today is a banger of an episode, and I hope you guys enjoy it. But before we do, it, uh, we got some business up front. Guys, you need to check out my new special. It is called Hashtag No Lives Matter, and everybody who's watched it except for one guy has loved it. So that's what it is. Everybody loves except for one dude, okay, who said he just couldn't hear it that well, which is him just bitching for the sake of bitching. Just go to samtriplee.com and you will be able to get it for free, dude, because I love you guys. I love you guys so much, so much. Uh, just go to samtriplee.com. All my dates are there as well, guys. I mean, we got some big shows coming up. Guess what, man? Myself, Xavier Guerrero, are going to be in uh, Washington for two shows. Xavier, Howie, uh, excuse me, uh, Eddie Bravo, myself. It's going to be the Tim Hat Comedy Night. We are live, everybody. We're going to be live in Spokane, September 3rd at 10 p.m. Tickets still available for that. And then Tacoma is sold out. My Simi Valley show, I think there's one ticket left. If oh, you want to grab want to grab that yeah i mean it's a super small room i'm doing small rooms because that's how i like to work new material it is new material tour when i do that huntington beach has just been added september 16th we will be live at the rec room guess who's gonna be making an appearance to get the ball rolling uh johnny water will be there in huntington beach what day if he's not there he is what day what day the show is um (laughs) September 16th. Okay. And then September 17th, we are in Kansas City uh, at the Comedy Club of Kansas City. And then Omaha, Nebraska. Guess what? Danger's coming. Okay. Danger, Omaha. Danger. We will be live at the waiting room. That's September 18th, 9 p.m. Xavier Guerrero, myself, Eddie Bravo will be there. And the big 500th cometh. Okay, that's October 16th at 7 p.m. Uh, the first show, that's the 500th episode of Tim Fall Hat. And then afterwards, we have a stand-up comedy, the Tim Fall Hat Comedy Night. Eddie Bravo, myself, Xavier Guerrero, and Johnny Woodard will be up there dropping the hammer of the gods on you unsuspecting fools. Salt Lake City's been added. And, and uh, my uh, we call it the Disobey Tour. Salt Lake City and Boise, Idaho. Those tickets are about to go up. At samtriplee.com. Guys, we are Florida. What? Tampa, Florida. You got Tampa, Florida, side splitters? Yep, that's up there. Hey, hey, Xavier, do you have any dates that you're doing with the Cholos? 
<laughs> Actually, uh, I do got a date. September 8th will be in uh, American Comedy Club. So go sell out, help out. And it'll be San Diego. So I know some of you former out there come support. All right. Go check that out. Where can they grab tickets at? Do you have a, a website or anything? Just find a local food truck and ask for tickets there. Is that what you're saying? Guys, I got a lot of uh, free shows available. You can get all the free shows at samtriplee.com, all the videos, okay? If you want to listen to some of the free shows, I have a lot of free shows out there, not only Tim Paul Hat, but if you want to listen to Conspiracy Social Club with Brian Callen and myself, they will. Uh, there, it's now available audio wise for free. Just go anywhere you listen to podcasts. Broken Simulation is what the kids call pure fire. Is available everywhere. Just listen for free. Tune in and love. Uh, we don't smoke the same. Is available as well for free. Go check them out. That's Xavier's Mexican show where he talks about Mexican shit. Right. <laughs> We did shrooms. We got a little, we went deep down the rabbit hole in the last one. So go participate. I feel like each episode is an experiment in drugs. A little bit. We figured it out. (laughs) Now, if you love the show and you want to support the show, there's a great way to support the show. It's called Rockfin, R O K F I N dot com. Okay. All my exclusive, all my exclusive content is there. Rockfin.com. Tim Fall App Premiums on fire. Zero, my spiritual podcast, which the audio versions of the old episodes are about to be released for free very soon. But if you want to get up to date on how to deal with this chaos we call this reality, which I think is a haunted house, okay, go check out Zero. Conspiracy Social Club is there. First look at Broken Simulations there. And we don't smoke the same bonus content info. I mean, videos are there for you to consume all for $10. Real simple. Get in, support the show. Love us because we love you. Oh, yeah. Cash Daddy's been on fire as well. Free content all wherever you want to listen to podcasts. Cash Daddy's for comedy and investment. Anything else, guys? No. Yes. uh, Yeah, we're going to do another Broken Sam here pretty soon. So get ready for that. Dropping the hammer of the gods on you guys. Uh, This episode's. Oh, amazing. It's probably one of the best yeah. episodes we've ever done. I mean, people are taking shots at, at Mount Rushmore. And listen, Howie McToskey definitely went for it. I'm sure I just butchered his last name. And I feel awful because he's really great. I mean, this is a paradigm shattering episode. McCoskey. McCoskey. Howie McCoskey. Yeah, I'm sure I said it right a thousand times during the episode. I, I can't express. This is how much I love the show. I bought two books during <laughs> the show on things we talked about. This is how great the show is. I hope you enjoy it. And I hope you, it helps you understand how really important you are and how there's some parasites that are trying to steal your loosh, man. Uh, thank you guys for doing it. I hope you enjoy the show. We go deep, homeboy. <laughs> Open your mind. Drink from the fountain of All right, guys, thanks for joining us. Uh, let's get into it. Very excited to have this next guest on. Uh, he's like got all my favorite things to talk about. He's gonna get in his near-death experience, Tataria. It's all there. Please welcome independent researcher Howdy McCoskey. How are you, dude? 
Hi guys, I'm a little little tired. The time zone difference is uh, it's kind of late out here in Norway where I am. So if the people are watching and I sound like I'm taking a few extra seconds to come up with an answer, that's why. Dude, we 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 are perfectly fine with however long you want to take it, brother. If you want to take your time, take your time. If you want to take a quick nap, let us know. We'll wait till you're done. That's it's how we kinder, do it. It's like kindergarten. Fantastic. It truly is. Dude, you're going to love milk and cookie time on the show. It's one of the best stuff ever. Uh, thank you for joining us, man. We really do appreciate you uh, coming on the show. For our listeners who may not be familiar with you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and where they can find you on the internet? Yeah, I guess I was, uh, it's a simplify answer. I was a pretty normal guy for most of my life. Well, semi-normal. I was a you know, hockey player, then I became a comedian for a while. And then partway through that, in the midst of a really deep depression, um, I got drawn into the study of ancient Egypt and uh, ancient civilizations and trying to see where the archaeological history is false compared to what might really be true. Um, studied with a lot of very interesting people around the world to try to learn that uh, knowledge. Then, as you say, had a death experience around 2005. Uh, changed a lot of the work I had done and things I thought I knew or what I thought I was smart on. And that turned a lot of it on its head, worked through a, a couple of books on that. And then a couple of years ago, got drawn into uh, dealing with the uh, history of the 1800s and particularly the world's fairs and uh, put a book out on that a few years ago. And um, yeah, so now there's three books that are floating out there. Um, if you use my name, you can find them on Amazon. I just get a new one, the, a new revised edition of the World's Fair book. Uh, I've got Howdy McCoskey Talks, which is still running on YouTube. Thankfully, it hasn't been shut down yet. I'm preparing in case it is. No <laughs> and, uh, and uh, yeah, and then the you know various websites with my with my name, you can Google search and find them. Um, that's where you can find me. So let me ask you, what hits hurt more? hockey or stand-up comedy like like what when when you when it hit how did how did it feel uh you know i mean i guess that the real the real comparison i guess you could make would be like the end of a game right so winning winning a winning a game with five or ten thousand people in the stands or doing a great show with a thousand people in the audience actually i would think the the comedy gave a bigger hit because uh because you, it's just you and the audience and you've been taking them through like an hour journey almost with you. And if they're still with you at the end, if they've, if they've gone with you the whole hour and they're still there and enjoying the show, it's, it's a, it was a feeling that's hard to beat, man. Really was. I, I always find that so interesting. Cause you know, you talk to people in bands and they're always like, I don't know how you do it all by yourself. It's just, it's always an interesting thing. Uh, very but it was stressful. I can tell you, it, 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 the stress. I, I retired just after my death experience, actually, and um, that's because it was just getting. It was so much the travel, the road, and and that first ten minutes, man, that was tough. Because if you didn't get them in ten minutes, you ain't getting them for the rest of the show. So yeah. Yeah, I usually give them ten minutes before I just completely burn everything down. I'm like, okay, you know what? You want to listen? All right. You want to be sit there quiet? I'm going to give you something to be quiet about. And then I'll just flamethrow the whole building. But, uh, you know, that's, it is what it is. So uh, joining us, uh, welcome, Xavier. Uh, apparently you just got 
um, internet in, in Glendale. So congratulations on that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I see. Everything's well, over here. <laughs> <laughs> Armenians don't mess around, bro. Uh, but thanks for joining us. We're, uh, we're about to get into a wonderful subject. So I'd like to start uh, with your near-death experience. Uh, near-death experience is one of my favorite topics to talk about. It's really changed my perspective in life and how I just see the world. Uh, for me, uh, near-death experiences are a big part of how I practice the uh, model of abundance versus scarcity. And uh, so I'm always very interested to hear about near-death experiences. So tell us a little bit about yours. All right. Mine was very different compared to the to the rest of the the, but the average one you would hear about, which generally brought people back after, you know, seeing light or beings or friends or relatives, and they come back with this new sense of, of uh, taking life in, in, in gusto and, you know, feeling like they have a new purpose in life. So mine was very different. Mine had been, like I said, I'd been studying hard. I, I've been a hardcore practicer of all kinds of spiritual practices for seven or eight years. I'd worked with a couple of native Indian medicine men. There was a uh, a Korean Zen monk that I spent time with for six months, uh, some, some Qigong teachers from China. So I'd been doing this for six, six or seven years. And like I say, I thought I knew something. I thought I'd taken some really big steps. And then I was out in a river area just in front of uh, its place called Johnson Canyon in uh, Alberta, one of Canada's largest waterfalls. I didn't know what it was. I'd never been there before. And I was just getting close to the edge. I was sitting there kind of like a meditation. I slipped and I fell into the river. Didn't realize how fast it was moving. And I kind of, I swam back really, really hard to the shore uh, where my friend was. Grabbed his hand and he slipped and we both fell in. And it was oh. that point I realized actually it's a waterfall like just five seconds over the, the thing. I realized where we were. And it was at that moment, there was this realization of, because the, the current hit, but like when I, when I was still swimming this way, it was okay to get to the shore. But when I slipped in with him, I was sort of this way, if I could make my legs, like you know, straight up. And so the current just, boom, right, just pulled me back. It was hard, really hard. And at that moment, I realized, oh, this is how I'm going to die. Hmm. And that's always was, hmm, interesting. It was just like, I'm going to have front row seats to it. And that's, that's the only thing it was going to be. It was no, no problem at all. And normally I would have thought there'd be this uh, wish to, you know, I need to continue living or I need, and it was just, no, it was just this, it was just this total acceptance of just, oh yeah, I'm going to die now. This is really strange way to die, but okay, this is the way it's going to be for me. And in that moment, once I had made that acceptance, everything I could think of as me disappeared. So thoughts were gone, memories were gone, hopes were gone, fears were gone, experience, like it just, it just vanished. And all that was left, I would just call, was like this, this really keen observation uh, ability of what was going on. Time was had gone to like milliseconds. So it was like literally. And what was happening is I was getting two things recurring at this moment. I was getting either, I'm calling it clusters of information because it wasn't thoughts. It was like literally giant, complete packages of information that would come up, burst in front of my eyes, and then just go away. And I wouldn't need to think about it. It would just be totally understood. Like just... This would happen a lot. I was also feeling I was getting a, what I'm calling like a download, like a, like a computer stick was placed in my head and a whole bunch of stuff was just downloaded into my brain. And actually since that time, I'm still, you might say, trying to go through the hardware of my brain to figure out what files had been put in my head because it was just like a massive 
information. So this was all happening in like a microsecond. And in this moment of realization, it was like, oh yeah, when all of this was gone, I realized everything I'd ever thought I was, I wasn't. That was all just a fiction. That was just a made up story. And now the story had crumbled and what was left was what was real. The only thing that was truly real, right? And in that moment, I was just getting ready to go over the falls and I turned back and my friend, I saw my friend in the water and I thought, well, if I don't get out, how is my friend going to get out? And I hit a boulder at that second, veered off to the, to the side of where the, there was like a place you could crawl out. I crawled out and he was crawling out at the exact same time. I was going to go run and get like a tree branch or something to try to pull him out. right? And he was already coming out himself. And then we just got out and we sat there for about a half an hour. We didn't say anything. And, and we began talking about our experience. Of course, it took us like 40 minutes to describe those five seconds, each of us, right? But our experiences were really similar. We had both acknowledged we were going to die. We both acknowledged that's what it's going to be. We both didn't fight it. And we both had this dropping of me. Me was no longer there, but something that was much more true was present in the mind. So that's how I would simplify it. And then it, that took a number of years to sort of deal with what the hell happened, you know? All right, I want to tell you about our friends at American Home Shield. That's right. For 50 years, American Home Shield has protected household budgets from the unexpected, like a dryer that won't dry or an AC that's lost its cool. In fact, they help cover the cost of repair and replace parts of over 20 home system appliances when they wear out. No matter how old they are, service fees, limitations, and exclusions apply. See plans for details, guys. It's real simple. Here's what's going on, all right? Right now, to celebrate 50 years of providing homeowners peace of mind, you can take $50 off their most comprehensive plan ever. Go to ahs.com slash tinfoil. Stop it. Right now, to celebrate 50 years of providing homeowners peace of mind, you can take $50 off their most comprehensive plans ever. Go to ahs.com slash Tinfoil, okay? Tinfoil now and save $50 off. That's ahs.com slash tinfoil for $50 off any plan. Service fees, limitations, and exclusions apply. See plan for details. That's incredible. And that's very interesting because you said after, after that, you decided to stop stand-up comedy. Was that a big part of that? You're like, I don't really need that anymore. What that, actually, what that gave me doesn't... What actually happened, I, I, I quit to three weeks before. My last show was two, yeah, three weeks before I had done this, had fallen in the canyon. I then did another life recapitulation. I don't know if you've ever done or know what that is, where you review your entire life from like now back to birth. And I had done one, uh, uh, it took me four years from like 2000 to 2003. And I felt like this was the time to do the second one to kind of clean up from 2003 to where I was. So I had just finished another life recapitulation. I did it quick in two weeks. And, um, and so when I fell into the canyon, I was like, it's like I was, something had been cleaned. Like I was also really light, if I can make sense, because of what, it, what had occurred. But when I came out of it, it was this combination of clarity on one hand, extreme clarity, like, I mean, extreme, a lot of the book I wrote, Falling for Truth, I wrote it like three weeks after I fell in the canyon, because it was like, it just 
everything was so clear. But on the other hand, it was also very confusing. Um, because as I try to tell people who this happens to, who, who have, I realized later it was, it was a true awakening, uh, what it really is, not what people think it is, not what the word kind of people play with that word to, to make, make it sound important. But it's, it's just really simple. It's just seeing you're, you're in one level, not who you thought you were. You're, you're the identity you had. It's not who you were. You were something else, something different. In some cases, it's much greater. If it's a heart awakening, it's beautiful. It's unifying. Or in this case, it's the realization I'm not me. I'm not the self. But it was also confusing because you think you have this complete package. You come out of it and it's like you've seen a, I, I, I describe it as like a part of the, the computer screen has been perfectly lit. You see it fantastically well, but you're also seeing the whole screen, right? It's holographic. So you're seeing, you're getting the whole thing at the same time, but you're fooled and thinking you're clear on it all. You think you know everything. And for a while, I thought I knew everything because I had, in one sense, I'd seen the hologram, but I'd only, I'd only had a part of it put the light on it, if that makes sense, if, I, yes. if that metaphor makes sense to you. So it took me a while to have to get through this realization of, I don't know everything, actually. I'm, I'm knowledgeable in the part I was shown, and the other part has some ideas on, but I, I, I can't go around anymore telling people that I know stuff. And I actually stopped talking to people about it for a while. I took stuff five years. I just stopped. I shut up. I didn't do anything. And it wasn't until my book was ready that I kind of felt like, I think I'm more comfortable now. I think I can... I think I can share this better than I was doing before. And that's kind of why I'm back here and, and now in the last few years doing this stuff and talking to people like yourself. Because it, It's been a long I, journey. I find that incredible. And, you know, I've never had a near-death experience, but I, I, I've had these kind of moments where you kind of look back at your life and kind of see who you are and where you've been and what you've learned. And, you know, to get to the no notion that like, you don't know anything is like such a freeing situation, you know? And I get like that. I, I you know, like I, I've never been through the near death experience, but again, like lately I've been, we've been talking to so many amazing people on this show and they have so much great information. And when I put it all together, I just go, well, I don't, I don't have a clue what the, the answer is. And I have, I, the true knowledge is saying that you don't know. That's, I feel like that's a very, a very Zen moment to get to is where you're just kind of like, I, I don't have a clue of what the actual answer is, but I could tell you kind of what I've learned along the way. And I think that's a very important place to get to. And I think our egos yeah. a lot of time get in the way of getting to them. And that we, we, we've invested so much into a certain narrative that we, we end up just like almost wanting to be right instead of do right. And do right is, I, well, there's some new information. Maybe I was wrong. Yeah, the best way I've come to, to share it with people is you don't really learn what's true. You learn what's not true. And more and more, you begin to see false and drop it. And that's really, that's really the path. People try whatever, in whatever field you're trying to get through, it's, it's, you're trying to find some sort of truth. But you, if you knew what the truth was, you wouldn't have to do the work. You would, you would already, you'd, you'd be living it, right? So what you can do is find what's not true, what's false, and let that go. And eventually, you'll let go more and more and more. Life will get, it gets confusing, like you say, because you, you, you're letting go of what you thought you knew and nothing replaces it. But you're just letting this stuff go. But you start to be freer. You start to be more open. And then one day you come to something. I can't let that go. I can't, I can't drop that. Oh boy, that might be true. So it's very weird. You don't walk into it. You kind of back your way into it as you're getting rid of the garbage 
And once you have, once you get to the stuff that's no longer garbage, you go, oh, I think I got something true here. So it's really weird. It's kind of backwards how most people do it. I love that. I totally agree with that as well. It's like, I never thought about that way, but I do believe it's like, you don't really find out what's true. You find out what's not true. And then you drop that and then you keep reassessing. And for me, everything is like a jigsaw puzzle and like what pieces click and what don't click and how, like, am I trying to smash this piece into this puzzle to make this piece fit? Or does it just click really easy, which makes me think maybe that might, be a part of the puzzle that this yeah. piece fits this part of the puzzle right there at that moment yeah. and yeah i i completely uh, before we get into the the other stuff i want to go i've been asking this because we've had some really interesting guests on and i'm i'm like what is your thoughts on where we where we live who we are what is this whole place you know i'm starting you know I, I was talking for a little while that i definitely think it's a haunted house but i'm starting to think of it at more of a haunted house safari and where the where the exhibits that they are feeding and manipulating and trying to get a certain reaction out of and that there's mm. all these actors playing this game to kind of re- get a reaction from us. Okay, I'd be curious just before we start then, uh, like Johnny and, and your friend there, I'd be curious Xavier. if you had to give like a one or two sentence of one or two, like a one sentence, what would you describe? What do you think reality is? Sam bought me into a broken simulation. We're in a simulation. I think we're in the wrong one. My shit's going on. Like Trump's president. If people don't want him to be, we got the vaccine. We're, if we're conspiracy theorists. We're right. And that's not supposed to happen. Yeah, I, I use I use simulation as a shorthand, but I, I would say more an illusion, probably. At least this waking life as we know it, you know, this it, it, I think it seems to be sort of ephemeral, a very surface level existence. Uh, so, yeah, I would say an illusion, probably, if I had to boil it down. Okay, cool. Because because uh, I, I can go into this as deeply as you want, guys, because uh, I, I took I took five years of my life to test reality. Yeah, I, I, I got the I got the I, like I say, when I when I started studying ancient Egypt, I got the first realization was I'll never understand anything about ancient Egypt. If I think like me, I have to think like an ancient Egyptian. So how can I start learning to think like an ancient Egyptian? And that's why I started studying all of these uh, traditions all over the world, because I thought maybe there's something in Buddhism. Maybe there's something in the Hindu culture. Maybe there's something in Gnostic stuff. Maybe there's stuff in the Mexicans. Maybe there's stuff here that could help me take me back to the Egyptians were similar, right? So that's why I started studying all of these cultures, all these ideas. And one of the pieces that came up in the course of that work, particularly my time with Mr. Park, the uh, Korean monk, was how much of my thoughts create reality. That was, that's where I first started was, okay, is there really a table or is there because I've said table or because I have the idea table in my mind, table exists. So I got this idea, what if I stop my mind? Not because I want to be peaceful, not because I want to be happy, but if I stop thinking, what would happen to the world? What would happen to reality? And I can tell you after doing that for about eight months, reality stopped, like stopped being solid like the rivers would start being still and the ground would start flowing uh people would appear and disappear trees would be there they'd become a castle they'd be a tree again the weirdest part of it when i got to the point where i kind of had to stop the exercises i was at my girlfriend's house at the time and uh, we were watching tv Uh, the tv kind of faced like the road you know it was on the wall side of the road and she said oh your sister's coming over now what do you mean? She just parked her car. She drives, she's walking up and knock, knock, knock. Comes in and she says, how did you know that? 
Well, I saw her. She parked the car out front. She just walked up. How? That's a wall. To me, the wall didn't exist. There was no wall there. I was seeing direct. That's when I realized I'm just seeing directly outside. The wall was no longer in existence. And so I, from those experiences, like like when combination of like when Johnny says it's an illusion to me now, I, I, I'm having I've experienced what that means. Like I've actually seen that it's not tangible. It's not solid. You can you can you can play with reality. And then on the other side of it, um, uh, when you were saying it's a simulation, I totally see that because it's, it's also, it's also in a sense, almost like it's very computer generated now that I've studied this in much more detail that it's, it's like, um, it's, it's, uh, it runs by a certain set of rules that don't make any sense. And, and that's, that's a really good example of a programmed reality. And so, I, I mean, we can go into as much detail as you want, but I, I, I see both as true. It's like, it's like a simulated uh, computer realm that we're in, likely created to test something. We're here as test subjects. What exactly the test or the experiment is we're in here to do is hard to say. It's hard to say whether we created the experiment ourselves. Like, let's say, let's pretend our world right now is the real world and we're having this goofball experience that we're having in our world right now. We want to say, oh, you know what? Let's find out how we can stop it. Let's make a simulation and we'll put all of us in the simulation and we'll run it and we'll, a million times and let's find out how we get out of this the best way. So bizarrely, as much as we could be a simulation where it's some sort of... Um, like a Gnostic would say, where it's some sort of uh, uh, prison, like where it's some like our consciousness has been trapped in here and our job is to get out. It could just as bizarrely be we ourselves, the real us created the simulation to see how we do certain things to get information to ourselves back in some other reality and, and are doing something better somewhere else. So like, he, like you said, it's a broken simulation. I could also say that's highly likely a really interesting scenario that, and it might, it might've been created to be broken for some reason that they might say we even created it. So it's so bizarre. Once you start, once you start no longer trusting reality as, as tangible and solid, it doesn't happen to me that much anymore. Like I have to really do stuff for reality to freak out. Now I, I I've toned it all down because it just got, it got yeah, scary, it would actually. it would be chaos all the time. All right, guys, I want to tell you about our friends at Helix, man. You know what? Most of your life you spend sleeping and some of you guys don't even think about your mattress. You just lay down and you deal with it. Okay. Stop it. There's a solution out there, and it's our friends at Helix. That's right. Johnny, do you have a Helix mattress? I do. I do. Yeah, I love it. Helix Sleep is the best, man. I got it. I have two of them. I have two of them, and they're both great. You know, I sleep in certain ways. Johnny, what do you sleep? I think you sleep yeah, what? I'm a, I'm a side, Knees side. by your head, right? <laughs> yeah, is that a, how you sleep? I'm a side back sleeper, yeah. Yeah, well, how do you sleep, Xavier? On my side. On your, I'm Straight a slide side sleeper too. I definitely go fetal position sideways. <laughs> That's how I sleep. And of course, my dog gets bam right in the corner. <laughs> so I have no room. I pay for everything. I have no room. But guess what? I have a giant bed. So I don't care because Helix is taking care of me, man. It is very important whether you, you know, dude, I used to have a really junk bed and I just got me the too. worst sleep, dude. And thanks to Helix, I sleep on clouds, okay? And how did Helix know what I want? Because they have a wonderful, wonderful quiz. Johnny took it, passed yep. it with A's, okay? I passed it and I realized I... What kind of mattress do you have? Only quiz you ever passed. Yeah, it is true. It is true. That's that's true. I, I like firm and a little soft at the same time. 
Yeah, that's what I got too. I got the one that's kind of midway soft. Yeah, you take a quick. It's a two minute sleep quiz. I'm taking mean, it right it now. Takes even less than that. Look at it, he's taking it right taking now, it dude. Right and now, it was dude. simple, easy, fast. And the best part is, you don't even have to go to the store with the. Have you heard about these mattress stores and what they they're thinking their fronts for uh, some dude. shady shit? Not no, Helix. No. Not Helix Sleep. And they'll rip you off. That's the shadiest thing of all that they do. Maybe it's just ripping people off left and right. Yeah, not Helix Sleep. They take care of you because they're honest people. I've met them. They're good people, and I love them. Okay, so if you're looking for a mattress, take a quiz. You order the mattress that you're matched to, and the mattress comes right to your door, ship for free. You don't even need to go to the mattress store. Fuck the mattress store. You can go online and take care of this with our good friends at Helix Sleep, okay? So this is what you're going to do. Just go to helixsleep.com dot com slash tinfoil take their two minute sleep quiz I'm okay done i'm done he's done he's in he's out he's already got another one coming i'm okay? buying it right now he's buying it right now it's if xavier could do it we can all do it okay <laughs> this is all you do you go to sleep helixsleep.com slash tinfoil and take their two minute quiz and they will match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life and guess what they have a 10-year warranty and you'll get it uh, you get to try it out for a hundred nights for a, on a mattress that you sleep on a hundred nights. nights making love on a mattress and this is how much they care for you they'll take back your love man they know you're back. gonna love it dude every night hitting it hitting it hitting it and then you're like guess what i want it i want it. guess what it's never happened in the history of time okay because you gonna, make better love on a helix mattress that's yeah. all i know better love okay helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash timfoam. Okay, Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash timfoam. Come on, you deserve to sleep well. There was another one. This was, I'm sharing just, it's great because I don't get to share these stories too much, right? People go into other subjects so I can talk about other stuff here today. So I had this one at the height of, height of my craziness at the time. I was in my mother's town visiting her and I kind of knew the town a little bit, but there were areas I'd never been. And I got this thought in my head, if I walk into an area that I've never been before, Will anything be going on? Like, is the town only recreating I think about itself that all the time when I'm there? Yeah. So I walked into an area I never walk into, to a street. The street was empty. There were no people. There were no dogs. There were no cats. There was nothing. It was literally just silent and empty. And I just walked. One, two, three, four, five. Six, seven, boop. All the doors open at the same time. People start coming out. They go in their cars. All of a sudden, there's dogs running around. And I'm like, fuck it did that because i just showed up you know i it, think it, about it, that it's, all the it's time. creating a street because i was there yeah i think about that and that gets into the <laughs> missing 411 they talk about people walk out into the forest and they disappear because like do you want to render all that programming to for one person in this giant area i think about that all the time i also think about that when it comes to the news and what we see on the news how much of that is real i mean we 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 understand something's going bad in yemen that's what we're told and i'm not saying it's not happening but how do i actually know that 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 is actually going on we see with this afghanistan stuff like so much of that there there is some theater to it now 
Some people I've heard on certain podcasts have said they really love me, but I'm not this authority on this. And I love them too. And I know they, they were trying to be the nicest they could. And I respect that. Um, because I was talking about like a lot of this videos coming out of Afghanistan seem like they're staged and there's a history of this through the media and all this stuff to create a scenario to get us, this group of people to emotionally react in one way to send energy into this, to create a reality. That's what I believe is going on. Right. So when you, when you see that, that the whole reality is doing that all the time. So your kitchen or wherever you're in right now, (laughs) it's doing the same thing. It is generating a, 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 a reality a belief structure that you are going to emote that you are without even knowing it emotionally tying into and believing is a real reality, right? It's Plato's cave is continuous so that the what you're seeing in the, the media part of it, when that it, like or something constructed in the uh, Plato's cave in the Plato's cave, you're just seeing a, a manufactured smaller version of a much bigger thing. So it becomes it becomes you can take this so far if you really want to dig into it. Like you say, you can look into it on level one, but you can take this foundational levels deeper and deeper and deeper. And that's actually what's happening. As crazy as our world is right now, and it is insane. It's insane because there's a door that's open, I think. I think there's a somehow there's a there's a door to knowledge that's opening right now. And if people are willing to take it and really go really go within, really dig in themselves and really look for answers. I think what they could do in five years, they could do in five, five months or even five weeks. And I think that's what, yeah, that's what the craze, the craziness is trying to take people away from the possibility that's here right now. I just completely 100% agree with that. And it's just like, we are like, so, so I talked about this on a couple episodes ago about how I have people who are friends of mine from other countries. And I'm like, over here, it looks like, you know, complete and utter chaos. Uh, what's going on in your country? Like, well, that's not really going on with us. Like, this is a small area in, in Melbourne. I have some friends in Australia who are there. And they're like, where I am and nothing's happened. We, nobody's wearing masks. They all go around. Uh, I talk about this. I was in uh, Portland. I, I, you know, I would, oh, yeah. during the height of COVID, they, my, my PA agent would send me on what they called suicide runs. And I would, because, you know, I'm a conspiracy theorist. I'm like, I, I'm not afraid. I'll go in. So I do, I, I do uh, heliums in Portland and some of the local guys are like, Hey man, we'll take you around and show you town. I go, show me where the riding is. And they're like, well, be honest. We haven't seen any yet. I go, what? Yeah. We haven't seen any riding. I go, How? Dude, dude, according to the news, Portland is burning. And they're like, no, I go, let's drive around and see if we could find some. So we right. drove around and it, we found it and it was in this tiny little park. It was this tiny park in all of Portland where all the chaos was going down, but it was shot as if the city was on fire. And that's when I go, oh man, there's some theater at work here. And I think that's what we're talking about. And when you bring, you know, is this opening of knowledge? I think the internet is a big part of that because the internet has started to keep score and allow us to transfer information that we maybe wouldn't have done in the past. And I think that is allow, you know, for me, it's allowing us to keep score of what, what, what some of us have learned from the past 
and we can recognize when it's happening again. And we go, well, this is what they did before. And people are like, oh my God, I didn't know that. And now we're transferring information more than ever. And sometimes things get away from them. You'd see videos of people who created the internet back in the day. And they would be like, yeah, man, we, you know, we think there'll maybe be like 10 websites. <laughs> uh, there'll be like 10 maybe. <laughs> Dude, I have like four by myself. So yeah, and, those are, and these are people they talk about like they were visionaries, you know, like, oh, they saw the future. But and really, I mean, they, you know, they were just had no clue yeah. what was going to go on. But yeah, I 100 percent agree with that, man. Everything you're saying, Audi, I totally agree with that. It's reality. And, and, and I think it can lead us into what you were talking. What were some of the things you want to talk about is like how much of history is real? And how much do they use history to create texture in this reality that we live in right now? Yeah, we can take this a, a couple of sort of overviews first, and then you, you, you guys take it where you want to take the conversation. But um, yeah, two real parts to it. I mean, one is it doesn't matter what subject you choose to dig into, you're going to find that probably it's not true. So it doesn't matter whether it's right, science, history, uh, religion, government, commerce, or whatever. It, it just, it's not based on anything. I mean, there's something, there is something factual way at the bottom of it, but it's covered with so much garbage that you have to do a lot of work to even find it to start with. So you've got that issue. History is important because it's the, it's the, one of the fundamental things of why people do what we do today. It's, it's the explanation of we have this kind of government, we use this kind of thing called money, we drive these cars, we have these airplanes, this is how we have, this is how we treat men and women, this is, it's all because we can say, here's the historical story of how we were here, how we were here, and that's why we are now, oh, that makes sense to me, okay, you know, so it's, it's part of just a, a creation of a story to explain why we are where we are. So if you control the story, Actually, you're not controlling the past, you're controlling the present, because you're controlling the thought patterns and the actions of the people in the day to day moment. So that's why the control of, of, of history and the, and the presentation of it a particular way is so important. Now we had a second piece that we can take for history. And that is uh, somebody, I think it was when I did a thing with Jay Widener a while ago, we did a, we did a thing on the world's fairs and, and simulations. And he told me that there had been an article written somewhere that somebody said, if you were building a simulation or the way you would know you were living in a simulation is if you had no problem digging into the, in the, in the present and the future. But if you look into the past, into history, it's going to be sketchy. It's going to be very hard to explain. There's going to be lots of empty holes. There's going to be, and the reason for that being is if someone's building a simulation, they have to put their energy and their focus on the present and the future, because that's where the simulation started and where it's going. You're going to put less into its past, into the, the thing that's there. You know, you're going to, you want the video games characters to what's coming along. That's where you have to put the, the, the key stuff in the the background to the character, you're going to leave that sketchy. And, you know, and he said, that's this article said, that's one way you're going to know you're living in a simulation because history won't make a lot of sense. And so you put these two things together. It's starting to tell us we've got a combination of it's telling us we have possibly a, sim a simulated reality and it's telling us we've got a controlled reality because if, if we could easily see the truth of our history, nobody would be living the way we're living right now. We'd be living a completely different life. I completely because agree. We live, that we as live well. life because of the type of history we are presented from very small children. And they use history as a program 
which then in turns create the fil filter in which how you see your reality. Yep. They are trying to control how you perceive the world around you through a right. programmed filter. Right. And the number one program is the people of the past were really dumb, primitive savages who uh, didn't have didn't have uh, washing machines, didn't have televisions, didn't have cars. Boy, were they stupid. You know, they had all of these crazy ideas. And, you know, don't think about them. Don't look into the past. It's just you're great now. And you came from these 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 poor in, you know, these poor people, as opposed to if you start bringing up the real historical stuff we have, particularly the buildings and, and, and the structures and the architecture and the statues and the stonework and whatever else, and you see, we can't do this stuff today. It's impossible. It cannot be done. Or it, it, to do it, we need the most intricate modern machinery. And what we're missing is the fact that it's the opposite humans at one time were unbelievably advanced and powerful and had an incredible mind and heart and ability and a connection with the world and with nature and with energy. And as long as people don't know that, they're not going to try to pull that back into the world again themselves. It's okay to be a dumbed down version of a human rather than the complete total version of a human that these ancient, particularly ancient cultures, but even not that far back, the history shows us humans were lived in a very different, powerful way. And that's, that's the big thing that's being kept out of our modern world. I, uh, I completely and utterly agree with that. They are trying to make us feel like we're just specks of crap in sneakers on something hurling through space. And we have zero power and we're not special. Right. And our history, we come from like some fish that just popped some legs out and crawled right in. And I just don't believe any of that. And I, I just think, and I want to get into this with you. Like there was a battle between uh, high frequency and low frequency. And for a short time, low frequency has won and they rewrote history. And they've tried to let us know, not know how special everything is and how special this place is. And they are, in my humble opinion, losing control right now and that's why everything has been cranked up the haunting in the haunted house has been the highest haunting it's been for a long time and that's dumb because they do not want us to pay attention to that that everybody is waking mm -hmm. up to that there's a small group of people that have been controlling us forever and some places are way more quick to get this and other places are way more reluctant, but I think more and more people are starting to get it, man. And that there's a real history out there that is not told to us. And that some of these wars weren't the wars that we thought they were for the reasons we thought they were, that they were actually much, much deeper. And that the, the good guys and the bad guys aren't as clear as everybody thinks. And that's done purposefully. Hey, Howdy, when do you think they changed? Uh, when do you think they changed history? Like, if we had to go through the timeline of like zero from zero to 2001, when was it they got a hold of it? I will say, yeah, uh, good question. I, if I had to make this uh, speculation, I think there were things were started in the 16s, what we know is the 16, 1700s. And of course, the, the whole time thing is, is hard to figure out anyway. But in, well, that's when I think 
the first rewritings of things were, were slowly started, but the main element of it happened uh, between 1850 and 1900. So in this time when the world fairs were going on that I wrote about in my book, what I realized one of the big things that these fairs were doing were giant historical theme parks. I mean, like literally you were talking about Disneyland on steroids for the, his for the history areas. And I think they were, they were presenting a brand new narrative and what a, when you have no television and you have no movies and you have no radio, the best way to present a narrative into people's minds is to have these giant fairs, send them all over the world, tell the same story, the same message about whether it's ancient Rome, whether it's dinosaurs, whether it's about what happened in the Middle Ages, what happened at the Battle of Waterloo, like whatever. And you just say over and over and over again. And of course, the people coming to these fairs are richer people They're, the poor couldn't come to these fairs so it's all your school teachers are going to go your university professors are going to go the people who have higher ed, higher educated jobs are going to go so they're just been there say, hey i just went to the world's fair and i i got to see gladiators fight in the Col coliseum and i got to see what happened in ancient rome well you got to trust them it was the world's fair world's fair's got to know what's going on and the person has just experienced it they haven't read it in a book they experienced experienced it you know the, the world's fair in san and st louis we can go into real detail how crazy these fairs were but i'll give you an example they had 22 historical exhibits at the fair each one needed approximately two to three thousand actors two to three thousand actors in order to think of the scale we're talking here so the streets of jerusalem were one exhibit 22 streets of Jerusalem, 22 were recreated. They recreated the Holy Sepulchre, they, they, the, the manger where Jesus is supposed to be born. They've got this, they've got that. And they brought over 3,000 people from Israel to, or I guess it wasn't Israel then, right? From Jerusalem at the time to be actors in the cafes, in the restaurants, in the whatever. And, and this was continuous. They had the Siberian Railroad. You would get on a railway car and they would, of course, shake the railway car and then they'd move the scenery behind you. And then the 2000 actors would change clothes. You'd open the doors and you'd be at one stop somewhere on some city on the Siberian Railroad. And you'd do whatever you do there. You'd get back on the car. The car would shake. The scenery would go again. The actors would change the clothes and you'd be in another city and another city and another city. And apparently this was so well done. You would almost think you really did just take a trip on the Siberian Railroad. And this, so you've got ancient Rome, you've got Jerusalem, you've got the Siberian Railroad, you've got the uh, German Alps, you've got France in the Middle Ages, you've got Spain in the time of something else, you've got uh, the Italian Renaissance, you've got, you've got all of this stuff. What a perfect way to present a historical narrative to the world's population. Sounds like that's, exactly, that's exactly when it happened. Wow, so yeah, wow. That's like Disneyland. If you go to Disneyland, there's a Bugs Life, there's cars, there's Star Wars, and they're all different little, you know, fucking little different world. That's exactly what that is. And everyone's dressed up in their own little fucking outfit. Yep. So imagine that as a historical narrative. So you've got two things going on with these fairs. So I'll explain what the fairs were in a second, but you know, you've got the, one of the big parts of the historical exhibit. Then you've got the human zoo. The human zoos were really important where they wanted to make, where they brought primitives from all over the world. And you could go see Zulus and various native Indian tribes. And you could see aboriginals from Australia and, and primitives from, from the Philippines. And they wanted to make sure they were shown as as savage and primitive as possible. At the Buffalo Fair, they forced the, na the native Indians to go in the Coliseum and kill 700 dogs and then eat them. 
in front of like 10,000 people. Because of course you need to show that these Indians are primitive. And oh my you, as, a, God. As, a great white, as the great white uh, Victorian are of course, uh, are above these poor. And they, they would do these, they would have these exhibits where you would go in, I kid you not, the Smithsonian would put up an exhibit with, with skulls and they would show various, you know, African skull, uh, Indian skull, skull from Pakistan, all small. And then they would show the Victorian skull, which would be nice and big and round and perfect. And then they would measure your skull. And then they would take your measurements and put them onto the various skulls to see how evolved you were. This is going on at these world's fairs. This is, this, is what's, this is the kind of indoctrination that's going on. So you've got this part of the fairs, and then you've got the other side of it that we will obviously talk about as well, right? Where you're talking about, so what are these fairs for anyone who doesn't know? Well, you're talking about anywhere from 700 to 1,200 acres of massive buildings being supposedly built with towers and domes and huge construction works and, and lakes and lagoons and electrical trains and all built supposedly in two years, to have this fair that would last six months would lose a ton of money. Every one of these fairs lost millions of dollars. And then as soon as it was done, they bring in the dynamite, blow the thing up and throw it into landfills and go on to the next city and do it again. So what the hell is that? When you add this idea of impossible building times for impossible architecture and then destroy it all. But in the meantime, you have this giant, almost like propaganda machine presented in the middle of it you've got some really weird stuff going on for about 50 years of our history. And I think to answer that, that's the answer to your question. There is the time frame right about from what we call what people think of as the Civil War, whatever that is, the US Civil War, that's like the beginning point of the creation of what we know of as everything in our world, not just history. But if you start looking for products and government ideas and scientific ideas and commerce and Everything, it all sort of starts to appear in the 1860s, 1870s. That's when it all kind of gets cemented in place as kind of this is how we do things. Something really weird is going on in this. Do, time you, do you suspect that the Civil War is a product of that or somehow related to that? Or is that just incidental, the timing there? Uh, oh, no, it's not incidental. And, and again, the question you've got to ask is what's really going on there? Because mm. um, you've got you don't have any battle photographs. You have none. Yeah, we have photographs of supposed casualties and dead people, but a lot of the dead people don't really look dead in the photographs. They look like they're just actors laying on the ground. So we've got this unknown series of battles that we're not sure. There were, I, I don't doubt there were some kind of battles taking place, but battles between who and for what, we don't know. Um, we do have pictures of destroyed cities. I mean, like, and these cities, mm. you know, they look like World War II. Like, Atlanta. I mean, just devastated. Yeah, if, if you're going into Richmond or Atlanta or any of these cities and you're thinking of taking it over, like, okay, we want to take over the city. Are you going to just destroy the hell out of it like that? Yeah, not and, even just take and, over. They wanted it to rejoin that. It was going to be their yeah, country again, the right. same country. It, yeah. It's your own country. Do you want to rejoin? And net, net, then the second, but to create the destruction you see, because the destruction is like the, 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 the marble, I mean, it's beautiful. I mean, the South in the United States before whatever the Civil War was, was beautiful architecture. I mean, it's like ancient Rome, ancient Greece is right there. And so you're talking about marble and, and granite and beautiful. And this stone is like, it's like sheared in half. It's like, look like a laser's cut it. So how many of these supposed 1860s cannonballs are you gonna have to fire at these buildings to create the kind of damage you're gonna see? I mean, like, 
with World War II tanks and cannons, it's going to take you a while to create that. So supposedly with this stuff, what are you going to be firing at these buildings for 20 days straight? So the whole story, once you get what little photographic record we have, is already indicating we have a serious problem. Now, we can't go further because that's really what we have supposedly photographs from. But it, you know, it doesn't matter where you go back in history. The story doesn't make any sense once you dig into it. But at least with the photographs, it gets harder to prove. So something, yeah, something in certainly in United States history, the Civil War is a marker point of something before and something after. And what's after is the world we've known and like our parents and our grandparents knew as this reality. That's when it was formed. So interesting. It's just so interesting because... Uh, basically, there's this whole idea about Tataria and what Tataria really was, when Tataria was around, and did they just kind of just like slip in something new right there and then tell us that's what existed there forever or this is the new existence. And there's just so much that goes on from the official narrative that has so many holes in it. It just doesn't make sense. Like I always talk about nuclear bombs, right? Like we supposedly dropped a bomb on Hiroshima, right? But they moved right back in, which goes defies the logic of what a nuclear bomb is supposed to do, which is completely devastate a place for hundreds of years, if not thousands of years, or for eternity, radioactive. People moved right back in. It doesn't make any sense at all when we talk about things about space now this is a totally different thing there's so much stuff that doesn't make sense from an official narrative that you go how is this possible how is this possible and with the people who don't want to look into the possibility of shenanigans they always go well you know this time it just went this way so this remarkable like luck has to happen either or positively or negatively for this to go down but it always seems to happen do you understand what i'm saying like it just didn't work out for the people who are making all the money and getting all the power just you know when when we talk about 9-11 right i get an argument with a good friend of mine and he's like it just didn't you know, things just didn't go the way they thought it was going to go. And yet they got all the money and all the power. Like, like it, it, it just doesn't make any sense to me, if that makes any sense, what I'm saying. The challenge, again, is when you're digging into any of these core subjects and you try to share it with the average person, the average person's entire identity, the average person's entire thing they think of as me and the world and their safety and their belief net is built on a whole lot of legs of flimsy information, whether it's historical, whether it's all this kind of stuff. It's whole science, it's, it's what mom and dad told me, what, you know, whatever, it's all there. And the problem is, it's not just if you start questioning one thing that it's gonna get a bit scary. The problem is if you start questioning one thing, you realize I might have to start questioning more. I might yes. have to start questioning this and this and this and this and this, and something in them knows you don't want to go there. Your whole world's going to shut down if, if you do. So just put the wall up and it's safe. So what, that's really what you're seeing. You're really, you, you'll see when you try to present this to somebody, what, what I learned early on is I'm really all I'm seeing is their own egoic wall projected of just safety. It's like, if, if, if I have to, if this goes, who knows what else is going to go to? 
And so that's the thing. If you can, if you can ever break through with somebody on just one thing, a whole lot of other stuff might come down really soon too. And so, yeah, it's interesting to watch when it does happen. That happens a lot with flat earth. That's the one that when people, if you believe flat earth, you can't believe nothing else. <laughs> there are things out there that are certain things where like, if we, you just go there, you it's very hard to come back from. And it's not that that's not, I don't mean that in a negative way, but it's like, good luck. Yeah. It takes down so many other things with it that it's just, it's hard to rebuild the whole structure. If you start saying, Holy cow, this, or even if, even, even if you take something like the flat earth. So even if someone says, well, I don't necessarily agree there's a flat earth, but I no longer can guarantee it's there's a ball earth anymore. There's just as much information that can prove either now just that is enough to start breaking down a whole lot of other stuff. And so, uh, yeah. So when you go into, um, cause I love this world fair. I mean, it just, it's so mind blowing to me. Uh, and you wrote a book on what's the name of your books. I'm on, make sure they get all the links to your books. Cause I'm going to yeah. order this. Cause I, I, you just blew my mind. Yeah. It's it, it, like I said, just came out with a revised copy of it. It's called exposing the expositions. And the, the new one is it will be revised 2021 in the title. And, uh, yeah, it, it takes you through the fairs really from 1851 to 1915 after the, the, the fair in San Francisco. They, uh, they, they, they had a big change in what the fairs were. Um, but there's so many bizarre elements to this because every city, of course, has a giant fire in it. They take Chicago. Chicago was mm. a giant fire in 1871, supposedly, right? Burns down the whole city. So they built 700 acres of the, of the, of the Columbian Exposition destroy the whole thing the year later, but wait a minute, don't they need buildings for supposedly the stuff that's burned down? How about San Francisco, right? San Francisco has a supposed earthquake, which I don't think was an earthquake. I don't even know if anything happened at all, but supposedly their whole city is destroyed. People are still living in tents in 1915, according to the story. They build, again, a thousand acres of buildings, and as soon as it's done, destroy the whole thing. Well, the city needs buildings. You, you, people aren't, are living in tents. This would be perfect. So the more you look into the fairs, the stupider they get. And when it comes to the building of them, see, I, I, when I first bumped into this, I was studying cathedrals in uh, Florence. I had gone to Florence and I was studying the, 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 energetic, um, uh, the energetic way cathedrals work and, and how the energy structures might have functioned with them. And then when I came back, I just bumped into the world's fairs and I thought, this is an interesting subject. I'm going to look into this just out of curiosity, right? And I looked into it for about a two or three weeks, some really good YouTube videos. John Levy had a good one at the time and a couple other people. I watched them and I said, I think this should be a book, but I don't know yet if it should be a book. So I went to some building contractors that I know and I took them. These are guys who build, you know, big stuff their whole life. And I took them the photos of like the Chicago exposition. And I, I first of all, I, they, they went, what the hell is this? And I said, oh yeah, this was built in 1893 in Chicago. And they're like, no, I don't think so. But anyway, so I asked them, I said, could you build this fair today? Uh, if I gave you unlimited money, you have unlimited workforce, could you build this? He said, yeah, I could build this for you. He said, how long would it take you? 
He said, well, it's gonna take me two years for the planning because we've got a real, we got a lot of work to do with the landscaping and the lakes and the lagoons and, and the water stuff. So two years to put all this together, the thinking process. Give me two to three years to landscape it because we're gonna have to dig out you know, these lakes and these canals and the way this stuff moves. This is, a, this is a huge engineering project. And then you're moving in all the sidewalks, all the roads, then the buildings, if I've got 50, 60,000 guys, give me uh, like, uh, yeah, give me like uh, 10 years to build the buildings. So here, this is the Chicago Exposition, for example. This is a small part of it. Look at the scale and the size of this. Look so at that. Me, Think about that, man. So he told me 15 years with modern machines and an unlimited workforce. Supposedly, this is done in 1891 in two years. Flat. And every, everything in sight here was, was decimated, right? Everything in here, in this case, the, the unknown fires burned it all down. And then what was left of the stuff that didn't burn down, they just, they just, uh, they, they tore down themselves. This is a small piece. This would be like what, I don't know, two acres of 700 acres, seven. Oh my acres. God. And the story is, is almost more improbable. The, their, the, the history, the settled history, you know, the mainstream history rather yeah. is that these were all built with substandard, you know, sort of temporary paper mache material. Yeah, they called call, call staff. Yeah. Yeah, which is, I mean, that's almost to me more improbable than this idea that they built the whole thing, you know, using established techniques at the time. Okay, so take the building in the center of this photo. That was, I think, uh, like a government building or something like that. The beautiful dome and whatever else. Okay, so even bigger than this in Buffalo was the electrical tower. It's 395 feet high. It, it could hold, I think, 100,000 light bulbs, and it had elevators that ran in the middle of it to the top where you could take people to the top and you could have a, a view over the Buffalo World's Fair. Are you going to build that out of wood and plaster and you're going to have people taking elevators to the top and stand on it? Of course, it's got to be a, a extremely strong structure. So just to build the Buffalo Electric Tower, one building at one World's Fair, that alone is going to take you two years. So how the hell are they building the rest of this in two years? So that, as soon as I got the information from the building contract, and we went through a lot of stuff. We went through the construction Oh photos. my God, they said so that was two is, years. Uh, yeah, that's a Buffalo Electric Tower. That's supposed to be built out of, of wood and plaster. That's the story. That's the historical narrative. In my hometown and where, of and, and Cortland, where, and where is that? Where is the electricity, that much electricity coming from to power those kind of lights? They say it's supposedly Nikola Tesla figured some way to bring energy from Niagara Falls into Buffalo, but yeah. Mm -hmm. In my town of Cortland, New York, where I grew up, it took them three years to fix the smallest bridge I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Three years. And that was in the 80s and 90s. Three <clears throat> years. Right. And you're telling me they built all that in... Like, like Johnny, because you're looking stuff up. If you got yeah. some, get some more on the, on the Columbian World's Fair, just throw a couple of more of the Columbian expositions, some of the ones that show a few more of the buildings, just so that the guys can and everybody can see. Uh, I've always enjoyed looking at these images. I, they, they're Yeah, there's something tantalizing about them you know i mean right, I, I can see why you is, went down why the do they need to all look like they're in ancient rome or ancient greece yeah, so that, that again was the next question are they really building them or are these part of this worldwide a potential worldwide civilization where ancient rome and ancient greece is uh it's a little wider look at that one image oh is, my god that's a fair 
Yeah, yeah like go down, go said, down a little bit. I saw one. If you if you just scroll down, okay. go down to like the the one. Like scroll down the, to the next one of the next photos. It's the one on the on the in the middle and the right. Oh, it was the, it was in that section part. Here? So it's just like this one just above you, for example, oh, where the, okay. where the uh, flag is. Okay. One with the flag in the center. Yeah, there's a good one. So that's another that's another part of the fair. That's that's looking. So you were looking one way towards the dome. Now you're looking the other way. So this is just the lagoon area. Oh, this wow. is just a small little one section. So now you're seeing it from both sides. It looks like Caesar's times ten. It looks like the Caesar's Palace times ten. So yeah. let me ask you. Well, I mean, something. that would rival the Capitol. The, that would rival DC as we know it now. I mean, it's yeah. amazing. And I mean, yeah, this is just a tiny little part of the fair. If you keep, and we're, you it's a, it's a 120 more. years ago too. Is what we're talking about. To be clear. 18, supposedly 1891 they built this and not just oh they were they building the fair at this time oh no 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 at the same time they were building the university of chicago right next door with of course all gothic cathedrals gothic structures giant because you know building something like take the map pull the map up the 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 one that's in top uh, second row yeah that one right there so this is a map pull that one up this is an actual this is a map that was made at the time of all the buildings at the fair so this is a really good thing to see the, the scale of it so this is the Chicago Exposition, okay? Oh, wow. That's it. That's the entire scale. And it goes all the way to the back where you can see the Ferris wheel barely at the edge of the horizon. Oh, this my is all the, God. This it is, is all city. the Chicago Exposition. Now, the building you see in front of you, that was known as the Manufacturer's Building. Uh, it was the largest building in the world at the time. You could put 300,000 people in there. What's, so what's some, is there a modern three, event? So three Rose Bowls, three Rose Bowls wow. filled with people could fit in that one building. Is there a modern comparable scale. event? Is this like the Olympics where countries competing to host these? What would you say is comparable in modern time? They're still Nothing. doing they're, they're still doing them. They still have them. They've just yeah. scaled but Is there anything down. like it now? No. 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 I mean, like Disneyland, maybe something like that? I mean, building an Olympics is a little bit uh, of there, but again, you're, mm -hmm. you're only building four or five, maybe six stadiums where stuff is going on and some hotels. And, you know, I mean, look at the, look at what's being built here. <laughs> look at, you've got the, the giant buildings all on your left. You've got the, all of these lakes are supposed, supposed to be remade. They were actually quarried out. You've got that at the bottom of, the, of your screen here where it says bird's eye view. That's supposed to be a, a moving walkway. That's supposed to be an electric, electric walkway where you didn't actually have to walk. 1871, you can just stand on this and it'll take you by yourself. When you move to the, a bit to the left, you start oh. moving into the country building. So every country there had its own building. Then you move a little further to states. Every state in the union had its own building. And yeah, then you move further up and you hit the midway. That's where all the, um, these things like wow. I talked about the historical exhibits are. And every building of course is loaded with artwork and machinery and technology and paintings and, the one building, a smaller building here, it was the Illinois building, the building for the, the state of Illinois. The, there's a book on the fair that lists everything at it. For it's the, the fair book is 4,000 pages long. It took 22 pages to list everything that you could find just in the Illinois building alone. Wow. Oh, my God. This is, this is the scale these things are. And they did them. In Chicago, in Philadelphia, in Buffalo, in New York, in Nashville, in Omaha, in in. Uh, so you're San telling Francisco. me like every major city in Los in uh, in almost the world had one of these. Milan, Paris, Brussels, Copenhagen, Mexico, uh, Rome. Yeah, there would be one in Mexico. There'd be one in Buenos Aires, in Rio, in the Philippines. You'd have them in Cambodia. You'd have them in Sydney, in Melbourne, in Tokyo. 
so are there remnants? The are there many remnants of these? Not many things are left, of course. There's always usually one building in many cases that survives that they say they had to make one a permanent structure because they had fire damage, fire concerns for certain artwork. So they needed one to survive. But uh, like in Chicago, the only buildings that exist are the uh, current art museum. I think that was the, uh, or, or museum, of, uh, museum of something. Anyway, mm -hmm. in, in downtown, um, I can't remember the name, of course, off the top of my head. There's a building that's out here in Norway that had been uh, had been uh, Norway's building. They moved it back here. I went to see it uh, a few months ago. There's a the Pabst exhibit. So Pabst Brewery uh, had a thing in the manufacturer's building. That's still in, in, in um, Massachusetts. That's about it. That's okay. all that's left. So, so what is the implications are that this... There was this civilization and some parasites came through and wiped them out and then wiped the history out. Is that what we're saying here? Okay. So after I did this research, and of course, the fun thing is if you start showing this to the average person, they'll just tell you, yeah, but pe people were craftsmen back then. Back then, they knew how to build yeah. things. They were, they were, they were, they were, they they had a pride in their work. That that's the kind of answers they would give as to how this could be done. But anyway, once I realized, okay, the standard narrative is just garbage. I mean, there's no, there's no way this was done the way they said it. You've got, okay, you have like twenty possible theories from you know aliens to building it in a parallel reality, whatever. But if you take it down to two logical possibilities, you've got a they did build it in the time frame that they said, which would mean they would need a technology that we have no idea what the technology could be. Almost like you'd be 3D printing the stuff out of like 3D print kits, kind of. That would be one, one possibility. The other possibility would be these must be remnants of, yes, an ancient civilization. And um, this is the, the now the one I lean more towards that most of the large buildings, particularly the ones that have a Greek Roman look were part of a worldwide civilization. And uh, yeah, probably the civilization was wiped out. And then the next group of people came in, retook over the cities, repopulated them, had a world's fair to commemorate, you might say, the new world order. And, uh, and then all you have to do is build the other stuff, which I, and I, I mean, I don't doubt that a lot of building took place for these world's fairs. I'm, the, I'm, I'm not saying like, hey, they found the whole world's fair, like, you know, and they just, they just painted it. No, they, they found maybe 14 or 15 buildings or something, let's say. And then they, they did build with plaster and, and, and wood because there's lots of photos of them building smaller structures. No, there's no construction photos of the big buildings. There's only construction photos of the small buildings, of the smaller things. So they, they built, they did probably build the rest of the World's Fair, quite honestly. And then when you paint it all the same with the same kind of paint, the same way at the same time, how could you tell the difference between what's old and what's new? You've tricked everybody. And I think that's what you're seeing. You're seeing this giant trick of this civilization that was somehow wiped out and the buildings were reconfiscated reused and you can see this in any state in the u.s so i'm not sure which states you guys are in but cali just go yeah, particularly if you live in, in the midwest just go to your local state capital go look at this like go to iowa north dakota oklahoma whatever look at the building the building is giant and the dome of course will be rivaling St. Peter's in, in Rome. You know, it's going to be huge. 
And you'll see the, the story. They built this in like what, 1840 or something, 1830. And you'll see a photo of it, early photo in 1855. And there's no road. That's the most amazing. You'll see this picture of like, I can't remember, it's the Capitol building of Oklahoma or Nebraska or something. It's like 1860, supposedly just built, massive, but there's no road. So they're building this giant marble structure, just, just the building of that one thing, the logistics and the equipment and the manpower and the stuff you've got to transport just to build it, but you don't take a couple of days to build a road to make your transportation that much easier. Like, so you, it's like, you don't have to even look into the past. You can just go and see some of the buildings that are existing right now today in your state and just look at them and go, well, that's, that's impossible. That's impossible for the time frame. Wait, how yeah. do you think this is the same, the same concept you're saying is what happened in Egypt with the pyramids? Uh, Someone else built Rephrase them? the question a little bit. Well, so ba exactly basically right. did, did, there's this theory that like the Aztecs basically just moved into these pyramids that were there oh, and tried to yeah. act like they had created it and they were recreating things they thought they were supposed to do there. And that's why at the end of the day, their civilization fell because they truly didn't understand the power of what they had. The answer in both questions is yes. Um, so uh, yeah, the, the Mexican stuff is easier to, to spot because the Aztecs were very clear you know, like they didn't build Teotihuacan, they didn't build Palenque, they didn't build, they, they were very clear that they were these older civilizations, Toltecs and Mayas and whatever. So, so at least the Aztecs were clear, you know, the stuff they built in, in Tenochtitlan, they tried to kind of take responsibility for, but those are generally poorly built pyramids. But in Mexico, if you go to Teotihuacan, I mean, the things are, are beyond spectacular. So it's quite obvious there was this old culture. So same thing in Egypt, and this tricked me for a long time. I had really fully believed for a long time that old kingdom Egyptians, so the, the, the oldest period of pharaonic Egypt built the pyramids. I really believed that for a long time. And I really believed they were the ones that had this tremendous knowledge that slowly began to deteriorate over time. And it wasn't actually until I started watching a Russian researcher. Um, there were some really good researchers in Russia. This guy died three or four years ago. Uh, uh, Alexei... Skylarov was his name, but he's the one who started showing me, no, no, no. I mean, I always knew the pyramids were old. I knew the pyramids were 10, 15, 20,000 years old, like the big ones. I knew they, they knew there was something special, but I thought the rest of it around it was all a part of it until I realized, oh, you can tell the difference. You can see the difference of the building structure of the old kingdom Egyptians who were still uh, way advanced to us and what they knew and what they could do and how they could work with stone and how they could use their mind and whatever. But you could see they're mimicking. They're actually mimicking the, the pyramids and the other structures around that they don't know how to make anymore. They're mimicking the statues that they found that they don't know how to make anymore. They're, they're now making them out of a softer stone and it's looking pretty good. But now I realize the really fantastic, perfect stuff is from this culture before there were any Egyptians there at all. So now when I go to Egypt, or if I take some people, I haven't been, of course, for a long time because of our world, but there's there's certain places you can go on, in different sites and you can easily see this, um, this two-styled uh, type of building where you see this lower part that's built with these giant, perfect interlocking blocks with, uh, you know, with the way the granite is perfectly polished and clean and together. And then all of a sudden it'll be this junk it'll be like some kids took a bunch of 
you know, sandbox stuff and just dump the stuff on top of the rest of it. And it's like, how did I not see this before? How, 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 how was I, how did I not catch that? You know, so it's obvious you were seeing yeah the ancient, what we know as Pharaonic Egypt was doing their best to build. And the Skylarov guy was really interesting. He's, he theorized that a lot of the tunnel work and passages that, you know, are supposed to have been made by uh, explorers and, and uh, early researchers and whatever, he felt that those were actually from the Pharaonic Egyptians. It's the Pharaonic Egyptians who were doing the, 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 the reconnaissance were going into these buildings later and trying to figure out, well, what are they? How do they use them? That they're actually from like thousands of years ago, another, that original group of people, the Egyptians trying to figure out what the hell are these things and how do we use them? And it was like, it was a mind blowing thing for me. Like, yeah, he's right. Of course. The Pharaonic Egyptians, just like you said, are, have come into this place. Maybe they were there originally and, and they got kicked out they got thrown out they got sent to another dimension they go who knows but when they came back they had lost a lot of their knowledge and they were doing their best to figure it out i just had a conversation yesterday with um oh i wish i could remember his name but anyway we had a conversation online and, and he was discussing easter island which is another example the earliest statues on easter island are all made from like basalt and granite right they're the hardest stone and they're the the, the, the work is perfect but as you go more into the present, the, the stone becomes softer, the work becomes easier. In fact, the carving becomes really, really simplistic. And you're realizing they're just mimicking it. It's the next group that's there, however many thousands of years later, that know this is something important, that know this is something energetically valuable, but they don't know how to do it like that. They're just doing the best they can. And it's the modern archaeologist that gets fooled into thinking it's all the same group doing the same work. What... What do you think happens with these civilizations? Is it a great reset where we've had, you know, last episode we had a gentleman come down talking about how these objects from the skies came and hit and they were three different, four different objects. And did it reset that? Was there a war that was lost by like, you know, I always call them parasites or low frequency versus these high frequency intelligent beings and the intelligent beings lost for somehow, some way. Like, what happens that these civilizations are lost? It's it's really hard to say because the ener the energy of the structures is so spectacular. Like, it's one of the things that bothers me about. Uh, there's a lot of Egyptian researchers on that work on the internet now, and they, they have some good channels. They they do present some good stuff, but they've never been there. They do it all. They do it all <clears> at Google Earth. And you can't know an ancient site until you've been there and you felt it. And uh, a really good example would be uh, like Stonehenge in England. So when I went to Stonehenge, the site was dead. There's no energy, zero. It was like it, it, it was like being in my living room. And then I went to Avebury the next, and I thought, well, there's something wrong with me, right? The problem must be me, right? I, I did, but I went to Avebury the next day, and when I was at Avebury, I couldn't I couldn't actually stand still because my legs were on fire. If I was, if I stood still, my legs felt like they were going to burn up from so much electricity. And so when I went back to stone, I had to go back to Stonehenge the next day. I had the permissions to go inside and be with the stones. And once I was with them and touching it, nothing, zero, the place was dead. And it wasn't until three years later, I bumped into these photographs again on another Russian site was where I had found them. And they showed this, 18, this 1950 um, uh, restoration work of Stonehenge where they took every single stone every stone out of the ground, put it on trucks, 
drove it off the site, dug up the entire site, looked for whatever it was they're looking for, brought, we'll say stones back, because we can't be for sure it's the same stones. They brought at least stones that looked the same, cemented them all in place, and that's the Stonehenge we get now. And it's like, as soon as I saw these photographs and saw what had happened, it's like, well, of course, they, they, they screwed with the site, then energetically it's dead. But if you go to these ancient sites, the energy is still there. And I'll give you a couple examples of what this energy can do. And then I can take some questions of how you want to go about this. So I'll give you two examples. One example is I live here in Scandinavia and we're loaded with stone circles out here. We have hundreds of them. The local population doesn't know they're here, but we have hundreds of them just like they are in England. And there's one specifically, it's a high energy healing stone circle. Uh, and this one guy, uh, he had a really, I think it's in his case, it was bad back or bad legs or something. But once he stood in the circle, his, his problems went away. His, 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 and, and he lives just close by. And so this would go about two to three weeks. This is how it goes. And then his, his, his problems come back with his legs. And he just goes back to the stone circle, stands there for 30 or 40 minutes. He's back healed again, three more weeks, no problem. He has to kind of keep doing this on this cycle, but that's all he has to do. Just stand in the middle of these stones and, it's, and he gets healed. Another one, a similar story was um, I had a guy who was, uh, there was a, a, a whole bunch of e Egyptian statues had come to Calgary where I, when I used to live there in Canada uh, to the museum. And so some people asked me, could I take them to the, show them the statues and explain them to me? Yeah, of course. One guy, again, he had some bad back problems or I can't remember if it was a, it was, it was a leg problem. Again, he had trouble walking. He was always stopping and sitting on a bench because he couldn't keep up with the, with the walk. And there was a big Sekhmet statue, the lion lion goddess right and there was no glass plates around it it was just standing on a thing so you could you weren't supposed to touch them right but you could so i walked with this guy and i said okay just pretend we're looking at the back of the statue just really pretend we're studying it put your hand on it and don't take your hand off until i tell you so he put his hand on the statue and we pretended we're looking at it you know and then about five minutes i could take your hand off how's your how's your leg fine the whole rest of the day no problem he never had to sit down again the rest of the day just fix them like that. So when you start to realize that whatever these ancients were doing was such high energy, high frequency, high balancing, um, and an unbelievable amount of energy. So then we take it to your question. How does something like that then get destroyed as a civil? How does that, how does a civilization with that much knowledge and that much ability actually get wiped out, you might say, you really have to start thinking of well, what the hell did that then? How could that have occurred when they had that kind of energy? Kind of, what kind of force would it take, either natural or non-natural, to cause that to happen? So it really makes you just... Then yeah. you've got the flip side of it. Sorry, I'll say one more thing. The flip side of it, then you've got like the Mayans, right? So the Mayans are one of the things that even archaeologists can't figure out because they have this giant civilization, these massive cities, and then they're just gone. They're just, they're just, they're just not there anymore. And there's no graves. There's no, they're, they're very clear. Like there's no war. There's no nothing. We got no bodies. We got no graves. They just, they're just gone. And one of the speculations is that the Mayans finally got fed up with this reality. They finally just got tired of the stupidity and they just said, we're leaving. <laughs> and on mass, 5 million of them just left, just changed their frequency and were gone. So who knows how many other civilizations that had this kind of knowledge that finally just said, this place is just too stupid. We're getting the hell out of here. I'm blown away. What you dude. think? I was thinking, because, you know, I'm like, what if they weren't destroyed? What if they just left? 
I was just thinking about before you talk. I mean, they're just like, okay, dude, we're out. Had a great time. And then slowly over time, I don't want to call us lower forms, but maybe this lower form of human starts to move in and go, oh, what is this? Right. And then we, you know, I don't know, man. It's so interesting, though. It is. And it's so great because it, it, when we start thinking like this, it blows a lot of our self-importance because we like to think, well, we're really advanced. I know a lot. I'm so awake. And then you start thinking, but these other guys who maybe lived like 500 years ago, they just decided to leave the reality. They just decided to vibrate themselves out of here. Like how smart am I compared to someone who can do that? You know, or like these stories of these alchemists who could just, uh, you know, if they were having a problem in their city and they thought, ah, I'm having a little trouble here, they would just dissolve themselves and re- reappear in some other city and, you know, just go on with their life somewhere oh else. Oh my like, God, I want to learn like, so much of that stuff. Yeah, dude. and you know, and you're like, again, you look in the mirror and you think, I got, I got a long way to go, man. Like, whatever I think I can do or how much I think I, I can do, boy, I'm, I'm still a baby in this stuff. I, I remind myself every day. <laughs> You know, I'm going through a lot of changes in my life, man. I'm kind of like, for you know, it's like very interesting to talk to you because so part of me feels like I'm on a journey like you, you were where it's like, I, you know, I've been doing stand up for a very long time and I'm, I love it, but I'm also ready for something else in my life. I'm ready. Mm. I want to learn. I'm, I want to learn. I want to, you know, there's things I can't do that I want to learn about where I'm ready to do something else. And, you know, hearing about all, you know, I could just dissolve myself and go somewhere. I just like, do you ever get like worried that you're, it's too late to start learning? And then the part of me is like, no, it's never too late to start learning. No, never, never too late. You know, and it's, um, it's more just a matter of finding, finding your particular, and I don't want to call it path either, because it makes it sound like you have to pick one thing or one tradition. It's more like just, getting a chance to look at a lot of different concepts, a lot of different ideas, a lot of different traditions, a lot of different exercises and teachings and try a few. And, you, and, and or like uh, some people, they do that with me, right? They'll, they'll, and they'll I'll hear about their life and where they are. And I'll make some suggestions. So and, and I would suggest try this exercise, try this exercise for a week. And we find out if that was working for them. And if not, I'll then stop that and do something else. And that's one of the problems. People decide, I got to do something with my life. So I'm going to, I want to take this meditation practice or I'm going to start this Qigong or yoga. I'm going to start with, and then they just, that's all they do. They're not actually testing it to see, well, does it work for me? Like maybe it works for somebody else, but does it work for me? And that's a big part of this is also building your own practice, building your own, building your own direction, building your own, because it's all about you. It's all about learning who you are and what you are and whatever's going to take you inside go to go within to see all of this stuff finally. And so you've kind of got to build your own practice. Um, you know, if there's good teachers or good traditions that can help you, but that doesn't mean you should follow it because it might be just wrong for you. And I try to remind people that it's okay. If you're doing something, it's not working. Stop, just stop, do something else. Try something, try something else instead. You know, don't keep bashing your head against the wall necessarily find the things that are right for you and do that. I love it, man. I'm so interested in that. Like I'll always do stamp, but I don't want to focus it on it anymore. I just like, I just, there's so much out there. I just want to learn, man. It's like, and the blessings are, it's like, I'm 48. I have kids. 
I don't really go out. I, I got called an old man by Johnny the other day because I'm like, hey, you want a podcast? He's like, no, it's Saturday night, you old man. I'm like, okay, dude, fine. Touche, touche. But it's like now I can start reading books I never did, all that. And it's like all I want to do is ascend. And this is such an interesting conversation for me, man, because it's just, it's like, here's another piece of the puzzle that just, it's like what, these these pictures of these fear, these these world fairs, just literally blow my mind. I, I'm like, I cannot believe that was a fair. I mean, and, and like that's how they sold it to us, or that's how history was sold to us as that that this was a fair, and people went to this fair, and then they well, we gotta get rid of these. I mean, like it doesn't make any sense to me at all, and it just lets me know that the, we are so much more special than we than they want us to know and so much more powerful i mean the last one was in uh 1984 new in the united states that's the last one right. i think they just had one in dubai in 2020 i think that's the last actual world's fair that happened so it was in dubai um and and the, yeah the most recent yeah the most recent fairs now are all about artificial intelligence how space will uh, be your uh, all about outer space and and how artificial intelligence will be your savior that's really the focus they have now A ai and robotics which is where are we headed <laughs> total ai and robotics so the world's fairs are still telling you what's coming in the world how what's going on they've just shifted them to make them not as grand so they're giant Johnny, programming events. It just John because I'm just saying this because Johnny's doing this. That usually means somebody's got something to say. So, yeah, Johnny, what do you got to say? What do you no, say? no. Uh, mostly that oh. was just a, a pondering and agreement with all, everything you've oh. said. I, I, it's it really is fast. I I've always been fascinated by those photos, especially from the Columbian Exposition. There, and I can see why you got pulled down that rabbit hole because they are, I, yeah, yeah. There's just something there that you can tell on its face that that's not what the uh, the mainstream explanation is not what was going on for sure uh, <laughs> I, I love this and it's you just think, like you think we also built the, the cathedrals uh well like look by by weed you mean like the, the, Roman, the, the people that the way they say they were built yeah because yeah. you know how the <laughs> well, built them is that right. is that part of the narrative no, I mean, uh, for me, they're, they're definitely, they have nothing to do with religion. Religion came after for all these buildings. It doesn't yes, matter whether it's, whether it's the big uh, cathedrals or the big mosques or the big uh, synagogues or whatever, the real old ones, they are all built as energy structures. And um, I'll give you an example. So when I was in Nantes, France, uh, just before all this craziness started, they have some fantastic cathedrals there. And one of the ones I was checking out is one called the Cathedral of... Uh, St. Nicholas. So I was standing under the tower in the dome of it. And as I've begun to understand now what the what the cathedral, well, we don't call it cathedral, what these energy structures were built to do was pull energy from the sky through the tower and the dome. And the tower and the dome is usually uh, covered with a copper roof. So the copper is acting like an insulator. And then they would usually put liquid mercury in there. So the liquid mercury would pull the energy in it. It drives it to the center. The center is pulling energy up. So the, these buildings are not just built anywhere on the earth. They're usually built on an old ancient temple. Like every great cathedral, Chartres is built on, on an Isis temple. Uh, everything is built on an old ancient site. So you're pulling these two energies together. And I could feel that in the center of it. And then if, if, you, if you know how a cathedral looks, there's like this center, there's like a center area, right? Where the people sit. And then there's these two sort of usually outer 
sides that are kind of like walkways and they have these little naves or, okay. So I can almost feel the energy start circulating like this. It's going like this in the cathedral. And then I noticed the rose windows. So in, in this case, the rose windows weren't at the main door, they were on the sides. And if any rose window, if you look at it carefully, it's always built in a cymatic wave pattern. Right, any great cymatic pattern, that's the rose window. And when you add the organ music, why is it called an organ? Because it's working with the human organs, right? The sound. So first of all, you put the organ music with the energy in the building, it's gonna start healing and balancing the human organ structure. When they put, play at the right frequency, it's gonna go out the rose windows and then the rose windows will change the frequency again into the cymatic wave pattern they want and it will go out into the whole city. So that literally you would be having these, these balancing agents for an entire city and it's why you would have so many cathedrals why do they need so many churches and so many cathedrals in the city how many people they got going to church every day well they're not going to church every day they're going there for it's it's a healing for the whole city and they need x number of these structures to heal the heal the city i i don't doubt if when these things were fully functional there was no such thing as hospital, hospitals and doctors. If you were ill, you went into one of these buildings, you knew where to sit or somebody helped you sit in a particular place or a particular way. Maybe you did some kind of meditation. Maybe you, you would add some herbs and some whatever, but the building, the energy of the building would heal you. There's a couple of places like that in Egypt. that has been the same thing. Like, you know, like I could go into the place exhausted and really, really tired. And then an hour later, I come out feeling better than I've ever felt in my life. So we're dealing with this, the, the energy of the structure. So yeah, so the, uh, it doesn't matter what the building is. Like I've also been in some really nice mosques in, uh, in Cairo. And some of the mosques in Cairo are just, again, the energy of them is wow. Like just wow. <laughs> you know, I don't know what they're doing in them now, but I know what they were doing in them originally. And that was harmonizing and balancing the human body. Sam, you're muted. Muted. Sorry. Thank you. Uh, it's very interesting because they talk about how the Quran that, the, you know, that is widely used now isn't the original Quran. Uh, the Buddha that we all follow right now is not the original Buddha. And you're like, oh, okay. So who are these people? Or like, I, I mean, the Talmud, you know, was introduced later on. And right. it's not the Torah. And you're like, no. who are these people? Right. This is this is one of the big things when people can, if people can really start to go beyond and see that, yeah, whatever the religious tradition and, and, and trappings that they've got is coming from a foundation of great power. You know, the origin of it is great power, but it's been so twisted over time. Good example, we'll take the difference of, so in Christianity, you've got the Gnostic scriptures, which are like, a complete and total document of everything, be it parasitic entities, a simulated reality, uh, how creation actually happened, what happens here, the masculine feminine, the sacred sexuality, it's all in there. And then you get the little bit of it that becomes the Bible. So I was talking about this on a, on a, on a lecture I was doing with the Tat Foundation and a, a gentleman from, from India, very old man, well, I say old because he's watching, older. And he told me, um, you've read the Bhagavad Gita, I guess. I said, yeah, of course I've read the Bhagavad Gita. He said, well, when I was in uh, the mountains of India one time, I went to a very particular monastery. And in that monastery, they showed me the real Bhagavad Gita. Oh they, my showed God. The, they showed me the original. And of course he reads Sanskrit so he could read it. So he, he read parts of the, what, what they're calling, what he calls the original one. And he said, the one that like I read or you have read in your life 
is nothing like the original. It's not even close. And so, yeah, um, once you begin to get that and realize that we what we have, and even though they're still valuable, they're watered down versions of what would originally have been available. It just makes you wonder, wow, what what what, what what's in these things? Wouldn't you like to get a? Wouldn't you like to get your hands on one? I know, man. It's just like it's so interesting. Like I, I have a buddy of mine. I love him to death, and he's like, you know, the the Bible is the true this. And I, I, I mean, I listen, man. Everything I talk about is meant to be enhanced, whatever you believe. I'm not here to tell you how to live your life or whatever you believe. Every word that comes out of my mouth, you should do your own research on and see whether I'm even close or not. So this is not disrespect. But when you think about what was and what is, who has controlled what is right now is very important. And even the most the holiest of books when we know that the when you're you know the gnostics when you talk about like all the stuff they believed in and how so little of that got into the bible you go who chose what got into the bible and what right. story is the real story that is the true question right i even i even happened to bump in today somebody on my channel sent me a link to a book what was it called the apocalypse Apocalypse Revisioned. Uh, so I'm going to make sure, just so I'm going to say the title correctly. So I just want to, the, it's called The Apocalypse. Why is it not coming up? I'm obviously not spelling it right. Apocalypse Unsealed. That's the name of the book. It was from 1910. So I looked into it. It's, it's a person who took the, the book of Revelation and took a, a Greek version of it and retranslated the Greek version of the Apocalypse and wrote this book in 1910 that the whole chapter is something of revelation is completely different than what anyone thinks that it's actually the story the entire story of your complete and total journey like the the complete work of the labyrinth the complete work of going past the minotaur into the you know the entire alchemic story and so he wrote this book and i guess it sounds like he got into a lot of trouble and there was a whole lot of problems for writing it the book was disappeared for a long period of time it's back in print and some it's been republished in the last 10 or 15 years and it's called and so what it was called uh, the apocalypse uh, what did it call again the apocalypse uh on no poc the apocalypse unsealed i think it's a complete title i'm just pulling it up now i, I haven't read it yet so, i mean i just it just came on my my thing today the apocalypse unsealed being an esoteric interpretation of the initiation of johannes commonly called the Re the revelation the author is james m prize so it's on my to read list now because i think i'm just really cuz i've been working recently with the, the the story of southern france right trying to dig through the cathars and the knights templar and the story of rennes le chateau and so i've just done a couple of videos on the the serpent rouge which is this very weird poetic document alchemic document that showed up in the 1960s in the paris bibliotheque and so because of that it's because of that particular um, thing i did that this person suggested oh you should read this guy's interpretation of revelation i'm like I'm really looking forward to that then, because that's another issue we're always dealing with is no matter what book we have when it's a religious text, the book was not written in English. The book was written in a very different language and has been translated through many languages to the language we have now. So always with any like, okay, if I, if I could have a bag of Gita, I want to read it in Sanskrit, Sanskrit, of course. 
because you're going to have a much proper translation as opposed to going from Sanskrit to maybe to this, then to another language, then to English. You've got, you've got four different translations. So like any text, how can you go back to the original? Or if you're going to do anything, can you retranslate it uh, fresh again? So that's why anything that's being done like that, that I saw, somebody's going back to the oldest text available, the oldest version of it, and retranslating it based on their knowledge of that language. That really interests me. Dude, you... Honestly, man, you are one of the most interesting dudes I've ever talked to. I've, I thoroughly enjoyed this episode, man. And, and the only reason we're cutting it right here is because I know you're up late and I don't want to be selfish and just keep you going. So I'd love to like pick this up at some point again and really get it. I just know I bought, I just bought your book. So, you know, for, you know, it's been worth it, man. You got one purchase out of me and hopefully the other, I bought that book. You just talked about, I just bought that book. This is the first time I've ever bought two books during an episode, but man blew my mind. And you know what, for me, man, it just, it's like, it just gives me hope, man. It just gives me hope that everything is temporary. And that, you know, this chaos that we're going through, again, it's like a haunted house safari. And, you know, if you play into it, they steal your loose. And if you don't, you know, this too shall pass, man. And I just, I, I, it's really been a great episode, man. And I'm so thankful that you came on. And I don't know if the other guys have any questions. Hopefully not. But uh, just so we can, we can let Howdy go. So well, if there's know, one more, let's say, because they have one that they've been there sitting on. Let's take, if it's just, if you Final got question, you really guys, want to throw question? one out, just throw it out. But, you know, uh, if not, we can end it. But if you got one, but you just feel you need to ask right now, ask it. Guys? All I know is I got to learn more about this world. This world fair. Yeah, uh, dude. Yeah. I've been all over the world, never heard about them. I've been to the Orange County Fair, LA Fair. And I, <laughs> no, I, I, I guess I, the, the one thing is I'm still, I'm still fascinated by this connection with the, with the Civil War. Do you, it, what, what's your thought on people? Because we certainly have records that probably are reliable. I don't, you tell me, of people who participated in battles and, you know, because like, that it's not that far. It wasn't that long ago. Uh, what 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 do you what do you think? Do you have any inkling of what the conflict actually was about? Uh, I mean, in, in your research, do, do you do you know? Short answer. <clears throat> Short answer. Yeah. Every city in North America had a giant fire in the 1800s. Right. It doesn't matter. You look at yeah. Boston, Baltimore, uh, Chicago, Toronto, Seattle, Portland. It doesn't matter. Every single city has this massive fire that burns down most of the city supposedly because they're all built of wood buildings. But when you look at the photographs, it's all just charred and destroyed stone. Yeah. Yeah. And, and not only stone, these, these cities look like Dresden in 1944, right? Like the first thing my building contractor friend said when I showed him some pictures of the Boston fires, like, well, who bombed this city? You know, um, so you've got this world, this, this is massive fires that they claim take over the course of 50 or 60. Of course, the cities go through magic rebuilds, right? They're, Seattle rebuilds itself in, I don't know, six weeks or something, right? Um, but you have all these fires. And the question becomes, well, what if the fires didn't take place over 100 years, like they say, or 50 years? What if all the fires took place over the course of a year or two? Now what are you, now what are you talking about? Just coincidental city fires or some type of gigantic, you know, almost like 
interplanetary interplanetary war. So my feeling is what we know of as the civil war is a tiny little speck, a tiny piece of this much gianter conflict that's going on in that time frame or is related to whatever that's related to. And and maybe the civil war is the end of it. The civil war is the it, it's the mop up operation. The ones who had uh, they hadn't killed everybody off yet, and they had gotten out of the cities, but they were still living in certain areas, uh, okay and fine. And so this was the last reconnaissance uh, missions, you might say, to to finish that. Here, yeah, here's some. This fires. is Richmond. It looks like Dresden. I mean, it looks yeah. like it was carpet bomb. In World right. War II. Yeah, that's uh, you know these are um, even better. Like because because Civil War, so you're supposed to say the cities are supposed to look bad because they've been bombed. So. Put something in like, yeah, take Boston Fire. And I don't know if it's 1871 or 1872, just for fun. Because I know you get some really good pictures of that one. So uh, Boston Fire is like 1872. There you go. So look at the photos of Boston. Look at these photos. This is supposed to be a fire. Just mounds of... Okay, so let's get into this. I know this is not your experience. Maybe it is. So we look at California fires, right? And we're like... All these buildings are supposedly been burned, but they look like they've just exploded. And but all the trees are still there. Trees are still. You'll see that in all the photos too. There's some great ones like of Gallatin, Texas, where yeah, the buildings look like this, but all the trees and the whatever they're all fine. So it's telling you something else was going on. So again, I have no. I mean, this is a more important thing when it comes to history. I don't know. Like I, unless you have a time machine and you can go back. Mm-hmm and take video footage, nobody really knows for sure. All we can start to know is what's probably not true. We can, we can dig apart what can't be true. The story that all of these things are just simple fires and they all happen by accident and you know some goofball way, we know that that's not true. So you've got the, so here's what, here's what we've got going on, Johnny, to sort of sum up your question and we'll mm. maybe end this on this, this, this sort of ideas. But okay, so you've got, the end of the civil wars just happened. We've got all of these world's fairs happening, particularly in the US, all over the place. We've got these city fires happening constantly all over the place. We've got two other weird things happening. You've got orphan trains, right? You've got tens of thousands of these orphans. Where are these orphans coming from? Where are their parents? Nobody knows, putting them on trains and shipping them out west. So that's, of course, the perfect rebuild. If you're going to, you always rebuild a civilization with young children because. They're going to do what they're told, and they're going to believe what they're told. And then at the same time, you've got the building of these supposed building or the creation of these giant insane asylums. And I don't know if you've seen some of these insane asylums in the 1880s and 1890s. They're bigger than the Medici Palace in Florence. Like they are these, they're, they're castles. They're absolutely massive, like Renaissance castles, and they're everywhere. So one, why have you got so many insane people all the time? Two, why do you need to put them in the most beautiful palace like that the Queen of England lives in? It makes more sense that whatever's, whatever's just come out of whatever the real history was, you're repopulating it with children or repopulating it with the type of humans you want. And the ones that aren't going to go along with the story, well, they're insane and we need to put them away until they either decide to agree with the story or they just disappear forever. Is that going to happen today? There you go. Have- Look at some of these. That's oh an insane God. asylum. So if you don't that's get the job, no, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, that's what, exactly what I thought, dude. It's like, are they, these are going to be insane asylums for people who don't play along. Yeah, exactly. So once you begin that, and that's why I think this study of this time period was so important 
because it's telling us some of what's happening right now. We're talking about a reset. There it was. Whatever a reset was, it was happening in the late 1800s in their way, in, their, in, in the way it was being set up. The more you understand of how that was done, I think the more you can begin to understand the way this is being going to be shaped and played out right now. So, and so in the 1600s, things begin to change. In the 1800s, it becomes them executing their plan, basically, whoever they may be. Or maybe I might say if I had to roll the dice and take a, a stab at this, I guess, I might say the 1600s was the big change in Europe. So all of this stuff happened in Europe in the 1600s, and then this happened in North America yeah, and what we know of as the 1800s. That would be my guess. Same thing, but just two different time frames, two different parts of the world. Wow. How do you came? You saw you dropped Mad Hammer. Can you tell our listeners where they can find you? Yep. Again, you can still go to Howdy McCoskey Talks on uh, YouTube. Uh, I'm doing some stuff on freevoice.io as well. And then uh, uh, you can find my name and just find the books on Amazon. I've got a terribly named website, egyptian-wisdom-revealed.com. And then I've just started a new one that has a good name, exitfromthecave.com, but it's just getting started. But start at the YouTube channel, go there, and you'll be able to link up to a whole bunch of stuff. And uh, I'll make sure to include all the links in uh, the description of this video, wherever you are listening or uh, the RSS feed. Man, and thank like you so much. Say, and I'd like to, before you do your thing, I want to say thanks to you guys. You guys did, this was a really good set of interviews. The, the questions were excellent. The, 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 you know, you guys were really involved. And I just wanted to say, you know, I do a lot of these interviews, but when I get ones like this, I really appreciate it. And I just want to say thanks. And yeah, if you want to have me back sometime, I'd be more than happy to do it again. Doors always open, brother. We'll make sure it happens because I could talk to you for, I'm being dead serious. Like I have these episodes where I'm like, okay, my, my, how I see everything completely changes. And this is kind of one of them. And uh, I just, it's just another piece of this puzzle. And, and I, dude, when you said you don't know what's going on, you could only say what you don't, what's not going on. That is probably the smartest thing I've ever heard in my life. And it completely crystallizes kind of how I thought about stuff. And so it was a wonderful conversation. And I'm so thankful that you enjoyed being on our show because, you know, we're a little crazy in this in this uh, genre, and uh, sometimes people don't want to come on the show because of the name of the show, and they just don't realize why we named it this show and uh, why we named it that. And, and it was done purposefully, and those who are nice enough uh, to give us a chance tend to, uh, you know, realize that the the fans of the show, the swarm, are are, are truly loving, and and, uh, and I know they're gonna be blown away by everything you said, and they sh they'll show you a lot of love. So thank you, dude. Thanks very much, guys. Appreciate it. Guys, I love you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you, Xavier, for showing up 15 minutes late. Thank you, Johnny. We love you, and uh, we will. I hope to see you in Spokane. There's still tickets left. And we'll see you in Spokane, Tacoma. All right. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. We go deep, homeboy. Aaron, open your mind. Drink from the fountain of knowledge. There's lizard people everywhere. That's some interdimensional shit. Wake up, Aaron. This is only the beginning. There's you just blew my mind. Tim foil hack, Tim foil hack.